So let's begin. Okay, so one of the things that I think is the most misunderstood element, maybe, of Yom Kippur is the fact that a person on Yom Kippur is not only supposed to be focused on Teshuvah and on praying, but also to a larger degree, what Yom Kippur is very, very famous for is specifically the Inuyim, the five things that a person is not able to do on Yom Kippur. So what are the five things that a person is not allowed to do on Yom Kippur? First one is everyone knows you can't eat and can't drink. Yes, what else? Leather shoes, good. What else? Creams and ointments, exactly. Yes. Sorry? Rechitza, okay, good. Yeah. And relations, intimacy. Okay? So those are the things that a person can't can't do on on the holiday. So you have again uh, eating and drinking, you have uh, uh, wearing shoes, you have, you know, uh, washing, you have anointing with the creams, and you also have um, um, intimacy. So these five inuyim represent the things that you have to not do on Yom Kippur in order to experience kapara. And the question is, why is that such an important thing to do when you're doing teshuvah? Why did Hashem need to create the paradigm of Teshuvah, of Yom Kippur, associated with all these things that I can't do. Why is that, why is that important? Why can't I just be really sad that I'm not doing the right thing? Why can't I just really promise Hashem I'm not going to sin in this way again, or do this Avera, or I'm going to do more mitzvot? Why does it have to be associated? Why does Hashem care if I'm putting cream on my hands? Why is this a big deal? You know, you're sitting there praying, praying, praying. You're singing your heart out. You're singing the silly chord. You're like, you know, you're in it. You're there. You're going crazy. You know, I'm on I'm on And you get hoarse and you can't sing anymore. All it would take was a little sip of water. Be back on track. And we're like, no! <laughs> What's happening? So I want to talk a little bit about this because I think that this idea, again, it's one of my favorite concepts, but this idea really speaks to the heart of what Yom Kippur is really about and the process of Teshuvah is really about. So let's start with the source itself. The Pasuk says in Vayikra, Ach on the 10th day of the 7th month, Yom It is a holy calling, calling to you, et And you really shall afflict your souls, You bring a korban, so you have to afflict your souls on Yom Kippur. It's a pasuk in the Torah in Vayikra. Okay. I want to read you the words of Harambam. Rambam says, if you look at the end of that pasuk, you'll see that the pasuk says about Yom Kippur, Shabbat Shabbaton Lachem. It is a Shabbat for you, a double Shabbat, Shabbat of a Shabbat. V'initem et nafshotechem. Again, the same, uh, same concept. You will afflict your souls. So, again, does that sound very Jewish? Hashem wants you to afflict yourself? It's not like a Jewish idea. So, okay, one could argue it only happens once in a year. Fine, okay? However, I want to focus really on one element. When Rambam writes about this mitzvah, the mitzvah of not eating, drinking, uh, washing, anointing, marital relations, wearing shoes, he says as follows, V'chen we learned, in the Gemara, 
או לסוך בו, או לנעול את הסנדל, או לבוא. You can't do those ones that we just mentioned, along with not eating. ומצווה לשבות מכל אלו, and it's a מצווה to, what does לשבות mean? What does Shabbat mean? It's a mitzvah to rest from these. A strange expression, right? The same way you are Shabbating from food and drink, you have to Shabbat from oil, you know, oils and, and washing and shoes and, and intimacy. Shabbat Shabbaton. Shabbat le'inyan achila. It's a double Shabbat. Shabbat for food and drink. And Shabbat for all these other things. Now, I want to point out that the word itself of the word Shabbat is a very strange word here. You know, you rest, you, would you use that terminology? Would you, do you think of not putting on oil as resting from oil? Like, I get the term Shabbat resting when it comes from work. So I'm not doing things, I'm not doing work, so that's rest. But what does Shabbat mean when it comes... To, to, like to these things. Even food. So Shabbat, in a certain sense, means like you're resting from food. It's a, it's a strange usage of the word of Shabbat, isn't it? Okay? So, first things first, I want to point, put that up, so to speak, on our blackboard. Why are we using the word Shabbat when it comes to Yom Kippur, specifically with regards to the Inuim, to, to, the, to the elements, to the five afflictions of of Yom Kippur. So I want to share with you an amazing Zohar. The Zohar says as follows, Mitzvah zu, this mitzvah lehit anot, to fast on Yom Kippur, why are we doing it? To take the body, the nefesh, and to take the, the soul, the lower part, the lowest part of a person's soul is called their nefesh, right? Then they have ruach, then they have neshama. Then they have Chaya Yechida. So there's five levels of a person's soul. With the secret of five Inuim, of five afflictions. Hey Madregot, five levels of Yom Kippur. Now, what did you just hear in the words of the Tsar? What did the Tsar just tell you? One more time. The point is. To lachnia, uh, to humble, to lower, so to speak, to lessen the power of the body and the nefesh, the lowest part of your soul, to lessen that, besod with the secret of five inuim, of five things that you have to stay away from, five levels, five madregot of Yom Kippurim. One level down or one level up? One level up in your nishama. So it's almost like what we're looking at over here is not, it's not really about not having things. Not having things is the process of acquiring a level. I think that that's already, we're glimpsing something. And secondly, the fact that what does the Zohar call these five Inuyim? He calls it, Besod, he calls it like a secret. That there's an element, if you will, of these five inuyim, which is like some deep lesson, some deep message. Are you already starting to see that it's not just that the Torah is like, you know, okay, what are the other things you like in the world? 
Nope. <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's weird when you're talking about food and water that way. Okay, go ahead. You can't, like, you can't fast for more than three days, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Like, you're, you're, you're saying that you're, you're going higher in your soul on different levels, but, like, how, like, how is that? How okay. is not eating raising right. your soul to a higher level? Is right. that what your question is? Listen, like, I, I guess I understand it for one day because you're not focused, you're, you're focusing on, like, more of the spirituality than, like, the physicality. Like, okay. Let's say food, but, like, it, it, as a general statement, it's a little, like, weird. Sounds strange. Like, what's right. wrong? Let's, let's express it that what's way. What's wrong with eating? What's yeah. wrong with food? Right. Well, what's wrong... With water. With intimacy. What's wrong with washing yourself? None of these things are wrong. So it's strange that the Torah doesn't want you to have those things. Someone here is asking, Lachniah means to surrender. God bless you. That's with an ayin. Over here, um, the Lachna'ah, the, the to be Machniah, could mean that. Kini'ah. But over here, it doesn't... Uh, that's not the expression that he's using. It is also with an ayin, but the na'at aguf um, is also to cause something to surrender, which is different than something surrendering in and of itself, okay? Now, the Sefer Achinuch continues this thread, and I wanna, what I wanna slowly do with you is like peel back the layers as we go, and you guys should definitely have some of that. I warmed it up special, so <laughs> take off the top, can someone help yourself, okay? The Sefer, especially while we're talking about not eating, right? The Sefer Achinuch writes something unbelievable. And listen to what he says. Because I think he addresses exactly your question. Go for it. Come on. I just went out for ice cream, but just because you're telling Thank me. Thank you. Well. You know you want to. Okay. So let's read the Chinuch. The Chinuch says as follows. mitzvah. The root of this mitzvah, or from the roots of this mitzvah, that God brought with His kindness to humanity. To give them, to set for them one day in a year. To forgive our sins. With repentance. When we talk about the mitzvah of teshuvah in the chinuch, He says, I explain, I explain teshuvah with great length. Therefore we were commanded to fast on this day, listen, because food, eating, drinking, and all of the other pleasures, that a person experiences through their various senses, they awaken the chomer, the physical nature of a person, to follow after desire and sin. If I have a drink, I'm going to feel like I have to do a sin. If I ate a chicken sandwich, now all of a sudden I'm going to go rob a bank. What does that mean? What it means is that the more a person lives in the physical world, the more they become a physical being. The more they make decisions based on their, phys their physical experiences. So when you take one of your physical senses and you give it something that gives it pleasure, what happens? The body learns, there's a feedback loop where the body learns, this is something that I should do because this makes me feel good. The way I define what makes me feel good is in the things that I receive on a sense level. Eating, drinking, smelling, all throughout all of my senses. Listen carefully. 
Surat Hanefesh Hachachama Mechapesa Achayamet. And the power of the Nefesh, of the soul, which seeks out truth, the power of that soul is weakened. Now, I don't know, I'm reading this for the first time, the Chinuch, and I was like, are you joking? Right? You know, this is enough to give someone an eating disorder. Right? Yeah, you know, eating, terrible. Yeah, it's a terrible thing for you. It's a big avon. You know, you lose your soul. Your soul gets weaker when you eat. That's what it's telling you? You eat food? But aren't you supposed to enjoy the physical world? L- let me make it even sharper. Aren't there mitzvot that involve eating? Right. Yeah. How bad can eating be? And enjoying it. Right? All this. Rechitza. It's so bad that you got water on your body. Why are you going to the mikveh? Right? So many different things like this. Intimacy between a husband and wife is a mitzvah. Why, why, why is it considered, why are we talking about it as if it's something which is negative? So like you said earlier, maybe the chinuch is trying to answer that we have one day, one day of separation, okay? That might be an answer. But I, I want to say, I want to share and I want to, I want to share and I want to express something a little bit different. But he says as follows, Ve'en ra'u'i la'avod ba'oladim. On a day when you're coming in judgment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in front of your master, to come with the soul's power is dimmed, and the power of the body is stronger than the power of the goof. He's thinking about what he ate, about what he's going to eat, all the food that's in his stomach. Because the way we're judged on Yom Kippur is as we are in that hour. We learn this from the Pasuk. The Pasuk says that God said, I see Yishmael, he's a wild kid, but he's suffering, he's sick, he needs water, he's going to die. And God says, and I heard the call of the child, Ba'asher Husham, as he is there, in that spot. When we come on Yom Kippur, Hashem is judging you, not on what you did, but rather, who are you right now? What are you right now? Where are you right now? So says the Chinuch, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did is he said to you, listen, I'm judging you on this day. I'm not going to look at where you were before. I'm going to look at where you are right now. If you're thinking about baklava, if you're thinking about, that's what's in your stomach, and that's what's in the taste in your mouth, and that's where your, your brain and your body is at, how connected to your soul are you going to feel? I feel like opposite. Sorry? I feel like opposite. Explain. Like when I'm not eating or drinking and I'm not like putting on creams or whatever, I'm just thinking the whole time like, so hungry, like my lips are hurting, like I need That's like, you know what I mean? No. no. So I'm she's thinking, asking, well that, maybe dis- well that maybe distracts me. It distracts me from yeah, thinking yeah. about the day. Yeah, I think it brings you like, like down from the physical world to a more like humble level of life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need like I know food. you. I know what you mean. I don't need like, the food to study this part. I don't so need it, the food to pray. I don't. I don't need the cup of water to sing. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, I, I, no. I definitely understand what you're saying. I just, personally, like, I'm fasting and I'm not. It's a lot harder to think like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm poor. I'm standing before Hashem. I'm more thinking I'm so hungry and you can fall. I'm thinking I'm so hungry I'm gonna fall down. You know what? I would actually be able to focus much more if I had food in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a good question, right? It's a good question. Like I'm specifically thinking about the physical things when I don't have it. There you go. So it's doing the opposite right. in your case, isn't right. it? So what is he saying? What are we saying here? 
mean, I was thinking the other day, you know, sometimes when a person has to go for a very important surgery, in order to have the surgery, they tell you, you can't eat. No one says, like, you know, come on. Like, you understand. This is super important. Situation, it's very, it's very important that I don't have food in me for any of a, many different reasons during the surgery. So I understand that for the sake of my health, I need to not eat. Right? But you're not, you know, you're not complaining and kvetching about the fact that you can't eat when the surgery is going to save your life. But also, you're Yom Kippur and getting through it the right way will save your life. Yeah, go ahead. And so, but also, you're not performing surgery. You're not the one that's like, okay, I'm going to pray with Kavanah right now. I'm going to ask Hashem for forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? You still need to have your strength to recover from the surgery. And surely, then you can eat. surely having more food will have give you more strength. Right? You could argue these things. I'm mm. not saying yes or no. I'm trying to set the stage so that you'll see actually that we're really missing the boat completely on 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 what what the Torah was trying to do, what this secret of the Hamisha Inuyim are. And now the last bit that I want to share with you is the Balat. Well, two last bits is the Balaturim and the Shla. The Balaturim writes as follows: These five things, Hamisha Inuyim Hen, Keneged Hey Pa'amim Nefesh, Tichtiv Ba'Parasha. It says in this chapter five times the word nefesh, the word soul. Each time we say the word soul, with regards to that, we have one of the reasons why you can't eat, one of the reasons why you can't put on cream, one of the reasons why you can't wear shoes, one of the reasons why, is each one because it says it five times. Next level understanding, and it comes in comparison to the five names that the soul has that we explained earlier. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. If there's five levels of soul, then there's five Inuyim. What do we learn right in the beginning? That each one of them is a Madrega. That's what the Zohar told us. It's a, it's a level that you're rising up as you're abstaining from this thing. You're achieving another level. So each one of the levels of the Neshama is achieved by abstaining from this, from this thing. Achieve the highest level of your neshama. Well, we'll come, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Vilot, and there's five times that the Kohen dips in the mikveh on Yom Kippur. And how many oh, prayers do we have? Yes, in, in the Beit HaMikdash. Oh my gosh. At the Kohen Gadol. And how many prayers do we have on Yom Kippur? Five. Five. Wow. So there's something about this number five. There's something about what's going on here in the story of Yom Kippur that really needs to be broken down. And I think that really, what's really important to understand is that we're getting this completely backwards. We think that we're coming to God and we're saying to Hashem, like, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do this. You know, so now forgive me. And now I'm upset that I have this and I have that. No, let me explain. These five categories, they relate to five different elements that a human being needs. Five different parts that a human being connects to in the journey that they have in this life. Okay? So let's try and analyze each one of these five things. Right? Food and drink. What are those? What is the representation of food and drink? That's the most basic survival? needs. Yeah. Person is surviving. Okay? That's the lowest level of a human being where a person needs things in order to be able to survive. So there's certain things that I feel like I can't live without. That's what's represented by food and drink, okay? However, what's interesting is that when you fast on a fast day 
at the end of the fast, you're like, oh, I can't, I'm dying, I gotta eat. Actually, you don't. There are people who fast for multiple days in a row. They're able to do that. One of the things I believe, when we're being shovet, when we're uh, ceasing from eating on Yom Kippur, what are we doing? Is we're trying to get a glimpse of another thing, another being that lives inside of me. Some version of myself that lives in a completely different way. That the things that I think that I need, that I must have, that I can't survive without, actually, you can. So if you think of Yom Kippur in a very basic way, okay? If you're basic, yeah? Then how do you think of Yom Kippur? I have mistakes, I gotta fix them. I have Averot, I gotta do Teshuvah. But a much deeper understanding of Teshuvah is a creation or a recreation of who you are deep down before that was tainted. So let me give you an example for this, uh, for this concept. I want you to imagine for a minute, let's say, just let's imagine, that you never told a kid, never told a kid, that he needs or that he should have. He never experienced the idea that he has to have a cell phone. How long can he go without having a cell phone? Forever, yes. Forever. What is this idea that kids are like, I can't without my phone. Two minutes, they're suffering separation anxiety. You know, they're getting, they're getting phantom buzzing in their pocket, <laughs> right? If everyone's had that. You're like, check your phone. You're like, oh my God, I'm demented. My phone's not even in my pocket. Okay? Yeah, you experience all of a sudden that, you know, this thing that I feel like I need, have to have, if, if the person wasn't exposed to it, they wouldn't need it. You know, like you think to yourself, the creature comforts that you have, a lot of times you think, these are things that I need. Having a period of time on Yom Kippur, when we're promising Hashem that we're going to be more, that we're going to act in a much better way, in a higher way. So, you know where that starts from? That starts by challenging. Do I, do I need the things in my life that I always think or say that I need so much? What am I going to do? The person is, is yelling at me. So now what happens? You go worse. You start talking about them. You rip them to shreds. What do you say? I need to defend myself. Do you? Do you need to defend yourself? Is your ego telling you that you need to defend yourself? But do you, do you really need to? Is something bad going to actually happen to you? If you, you see, until you're willing to challenge those things that you tell you set yourself, I need this. Real teshuvah is not possible. Do you, do you get that? Like as an example, I tell myself, you know, let's say I don't keep Shabbat. I tell myself, you know what? I really need to start, you know, you know doing the right thing. I'm not going to work on Shabbat anymore. But I, if I feel that I need to work on Shabbat, you know how long that's going to last? A week, two weeks, three weeks. You know, once the holidays are over, I feel like I skated past. I'm dropping that. You know why? Because I believe that I need it. If I could become convinced that I don't need it, that the things that I think that I need, I don't need, you know what happens? A whole new world is opened up. Let me give you a really weird example of this. Okay, It's a very strange example, but you'll see what I mean. I want you to imagine one day you're on a boat, you 
out in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden, as you're uh, on this boat in the middle of the ocean, wind comes, you fall overboard. Okay? You're like flipping out, you're screaming you're with your hands. You know, you're so tired, you can't believe you're going to drown, you're going to die, you're losing your mind. Eventually, you run out of, uh, out of strength to fight anymore, and you start going under. And you're like, oh, go. <laughs> and then you go under the water, and you're doing as much as you can, but eventually, you can't anymore. And you start swallowing water, but all of a sudden, you realize you're breathing under the water. Could you imagine something like that happened? And I said it's a weird example. <laughs> right? But all of a sudden, you're like swimming under the water and you could breathe under the water. I, I want you to imagine you swim all the way to shore. You get out of the water after having swum underwater whilst breathing under the water, right? To all the way to the shore. You sit it out, you're sitting on the beach, you're not even out of breath. I want you to imagine you're now sitting on the beach. How do you feel right now? Crazy, amazing, world. crazy. Psyched you're alive. Psyched you're alive. <laughs> I would say you feel confused. You're like wondering, what the heck? How did that just happen? You know what else you're wondering? What else? What else can I do? Like, do I know how to fly? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Because on the most basic level, you just challenged what you think you need in order to survive. Um, I, I don't know how to how to say this in the, in a nice, in a simple, and easy way, but so I'm just going to say it. Pardon me, okay? Baruch Hashem, we live in an amazing time in human history. We live in an amazing community. Most people that you know, I mean, not everybody, obviously there are people that are suffering, people that are, but many, many people that you live with, that you know, that you grew up with, they live in a very beautiful way. And you might be looking at the person above you on the financial ladder and thinking, you know what, it's not all that crazy. Like I only went on two vacations and I didn't even fly first class or business class. Like I flew premium economy. Like I didn't even fly premium economy. Like I flew economy. There are some people who have never been out of the state that they were born in in their life. They've never gone on a plane. They've never gone on vacation. They can't afford to take vacation. Right? So you think to yourself that this is what a life means. This is what I need. How many decisions are made because we've made up our minds as to what I need? Well, I'll give you an example. A lot of marriages could really do with a little bit more FaceTime. Right? They, we do, they would do great if their husband would come back. At, but living at a certain standard, I'm not I'm talking about tuition. I'm talking about living at a certain standard beyond tuition. You know? You don't need that much money beyond X amount of expenses if you're happy to live a pretty simple life. The idea that restaurants are normal, right? I remember when I was young, we went out to eat if it was someone's birthday. And I'm not talking about reserve cut and deal, you know, in, uh, 
in the 1980s. You know? You're talking about the pizza shop. You're talking about Chiang Mao. Right, well, we didn't have Fuji. We had Chiang Mao, right? I'm not talking about something crazy. But that's what we went out for. Like the idea that everybody has on their phone access, Uber Eats, to all these different restaurants that you could order and have come right to you. And by the way, more expensive than in the actual restaurant. That's, that's, a, that's a this generation thing. Like we go to the refrigerator and like we have nothing to eat, but the refrigerator is full of food. You go to your closet, it's full of clothes, and you're like, I have nothing to wear. That's a this generation problem. So the first thing that we're changing in the story of Teshuvah, because all change really rides upon how you think, the way you think about what you need. Right? People think, I need my personal space. I need this vacation. I can't give charity or more charity. I can't give time to someone because I need everything that I need, me time. I need to take care of me. And you know what? That's true. People do. But we've gone so above and beyond on self-care that we've forgotten about how to care about other people. So if that is held up by society, by the people around us, as this unbelievable thing that you're taking care of you, you do you, you girl boss you, you're amazing. Yeah, you need go do that mammy, petty, whatever, vacation, amazing. You need this, you need this. You, girl, you deserve. You deserve. You deserve this. Then, I don't, I don't have the space, the, the resources, the emotional bandwidth for you because I need it for me. The first thing we challenge and the first way we wake up the soul is do you need what you think you need? In that moment, our rabbis tell us that when a person is doing these five inuyim, they, in a certain sense, the same way the angels don't eat, you don't eat. Right? It's not like, no, 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 no food. It's like experiencing a part of yourself a part that doesn't live as a needy person. And you know how I express it? By showing that something that I need, I could say, no, I'm in control. Do your needs control you or do you set them? Are you starting to see it in a little bit of a different way? Now what I want you to do, because you said, oh, I'm distracted, I'm hungry, I'm this. Look at your hunger feel it on Yom Kippur and almost appreciate I'm hungry. Anyone out there, what would they do? They'd be on Uber Eats. I don't have my phone. I'm not getting pizza. I'm here to Neila. It hurts so good. Again, you understand? Not for the sake of your body or your body image or how much money, how much you weigh or how you look, but the exact opposite. I'm no longer a slave to my needs. And if I can create that, let me give you an example for this. I think it was Rabbi Galinsky who shared the most amazing story. He was in, during the Holocaust, he was in one of the barracks, and in the middle of the night, he used to, he decided he was gonna get up early to pray and to learn before everything you know, kicked off. Anyway, so he's sitting in the, in, the, in the bunk, in the barracks, and all of a sudden he sees this guy 
this French prisoner, he gets up, but he doesn't get up when the rabbi got up. He gets up even before. Anyway, the rabbi, he's, you know, he planned to get up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m., whatever. This guy's getting up at 3.30. One day, the rabbi wakes up a little early, and he sees this guy get up. And the guy looks this way, and he looks that way, and he reaches underneath his bed, and he pulls out a package. The rabbi's like trying to, you know, see what's going on without giving away, because it's clear the guy doesn't want to be watched, and this is something private. He takes out of this package clothing. And he puts on this clothing, and it's a uniform. And he puts on this military uniform, okay? Gets fully dressed up, stands up at his outside of his bed, at attention, you know? Stands up, then walks up and down the barracks whilst everyone's sleeping, takes off the clothing, folds it up, puts it in the package, hides it behind the bed again. Rabbis think this is really weird. All right, maybe it's some sort of ritual the guy did once, you know, maybe to remember something, an anniversary, I don't know. The next day, he wakes up a little early just to see, and then the guy does it again. The guy does it again. The guy does it again. Till eventually, the rabbi says, what are you doing? And the guy gets so scared, so shocked that someone caught him, he starts stammering. He's like, nothing, nothing. He's pulling off the uniform as quickly as he can. He's hiding it. And he's, the rabbi says, what are you doing? I saw what you're doing. He goes, no, I'm not doing anything. Anyway, finally, the guy realizes everyone's going to wake up unless he tells, spills the beans, tells him what's going on. And he said, let me tell you. He says, I used to be a general in the French army. I ran the entire army. I had lieutenants. I had captains. I had corporals. I had, you know, all these different people that were, you know, working under my command. And I came here and I was stripped of everything. And I was treated not even like a human. I was treated lower than an animal. And I want to remember that I'm not an animal. That I'm a human being. That I'm a person that people believed in. People would give their lives on my order. I'm someone. I'm worth something. I stand for something. I'm important. So every morning before I start the horrible day that I start, Quietly, without anybody seeing, I put on this uniform to be able to remind myself of who I really am. That's who Yom Kippur is. We can't fast every day, so we do it once a year. But this once a year where we remind ourselves who we really are. I don't know if you ever read stories or you hear the stories or the, the, the accountings of, of survivors of what they did and what they had to do of people who served in the Israeli army you know, risked their lives to defend their country of people who, uh, who lived lives of such kindness and generosity when people didn't have food to eat when that was the most common thing that no one had food to put on their table and you look at these people and you're like wow they're so special they're so wonderful. They're so amazing. You see people who risk their lives to go save someone from a burning building. Someone throws himself in front of a bus to pull someone, to pull a child out of the way from getting hit by a bus. And you think, wow, what a special person. What an amazing hero. I could never do that. You know who else could never do that? That guy. Until when? Until he did it. Until in front of him came out this 
scenario which demanded that a hero step forward, that something special steps forward out of you. And then what happens? And then that's what gets created. The next thing that we talk about, right, is, right, we talk about ni'ilata sandal, wearing leather shoes. What's the reason why we don't wear leather shoes? What human aspect does this ni'ilata sandal represent? It represents comfort. The ability to live life with comfort. And that, my friends, is the second aspect of what it takes to become a superhuman, is to recognize that I need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So you're not wearing your shoes, you have this, you know, these whatever, they used to have, you know, either leather shoes, they didn't have vegan sandals, okay? So if they didn't have leather shoes, what are they, they're walking around, their feet are killing. But what they did was, they said, you know what, today, today I'm going to be that person who's okay being uncomfortable. How many times do you know that it's the right thing to leave a conversation because people are talking badly about somebody? It's so, it's so awkward. It's so, blah, blah. What do I do? Like, I don't want to, I'm going to be that person, I'm going to be that religious person, you know, <laughs> that walked away from the conversation because it's la shorara, that they're going to make fun of me. It's uncomfortable. How many times, because of comfort, are we stopped from doing the right thing? You know, you decided what you decided about eating kosher, and now your friends are going somewhere that it's not kosher, it's not kosher with meat, it's not kosher with milk, it's not kosher. You know, someone forwarded me some video, I don't know from who, about who was doing the piece on all the Syrians. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And, and, uh, and someone forwarded me this video. I don't know if it's horrible or not horrible. My favorite line was one piece. You know what my favorite line was? And they all go to Vicks. Yeah. <laughs> and the real psychos yeah. bring their own cheese. It's hard to be called a psycho. It's hard. It's hard for people to speak about you that way. You make a choice about modesty. And people are like, whoa, what happened? You know, who got you? Like, you know, you black hatted out? You black hat now? That's who you are? And it's uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to confront someone and say to the person, what you're doing is wrong. It's so much easier to be just chill. Like, why can't you just be like, chill? Like, you're so intense. Like, I'm not intense. You're humiliating someone publicly. You're ruining their reputation. For what? For fun. Don't do that. But it's so uncomfortable to do that, that we hesitate. The second thing that we need to be able to get comfortable with is recognizing that human beings were not designed to be comfortable. Let me ask you, what's better? A human being with muscles or a human being with no muscles? A fat jlub. What's better? <laughs> I'm not saying what looks better. I'm saying what's better. Muscle. A person who has muscle. You know what creates muscle? Heart. Work. Work creates muscle. That, that's, what, that's what happens. Struggling, right? Working on something, effort, sweat, makes a person build their persona, build stamina, resilience, 
uh, uh, strength. That, that's, that's how you do that. There is no other way to do that. You can't sit on the couch, you know, Netflix. You can't, you can't do that and become a person who has, you know, and they'll try and sell you a million things. Yeah, this guy who used to work for the Navy came up with a thing and you put it on your belly and you put it on and it shakes and it does the thing. And then, yeah, take it off, your six pack. Sorry, that's not how six packs are born. You can't sit and watch TV and get healthy. It doesn't work. We were designed this way. We were made to struggle. And I can promise you one thing. Ask yourself this question. What is a larger part, component, of the human being? Our musculature, okay? Our muscles, right? Or, or our mental, emotional, and intellectual states. What is a bigger part of a human being? Mental. If humans were designed to work physically, that's how we were designed, then you can bet your bottom dollar that our mental capacities, our intellectual capacities were designed to work, to struggle. You take a person who's 80 years old and he retires from work because he made it. He has enough money to retire. You know what happens to 80-year-olds that retire? Yeah. They fall off a cliff. I don't mean literally. I mean, slowly but surely, they can't walk and then they can't think and they can't speak properly and, you know, and they become a person that everyone needs to take care of. Two minutes ago, the guy was running the whole company. Sharp, you know, as a whip, on top of everything. Stamina, came in first, you know, to the office. What happened? You know what happened? He stopped working. Seniors that do not work on their brains, they're not playing Scrabble and Wordle and Mabadev, okay? They're not trying, testing their brains. You know what happens to their mental capacity? It goes down. You meet people who are stupid. They're not stupid. They're not trying. They just didn't try hard enough, long enough. Well, they gave up some time ago and they, their brains became mush. Do you ever go to a class and you're thinking and you're thinking and you finish the class and you're like mentally exhausted? There was like so much information there. And someone's like, what do you speak about? What that, what that? And you're like, oh my God, there's so many things I can't even remember. You know how healthy that is for your brain? To struggle to wrap itself around something? We were not designed for leather shoes. Now it's true, we have it, we enjoy it, yes. But we're supposed to enjoy it, it's not supposed to enjoy us. It's a great line, also from Rabbi Galinsky, I love this. <laughs> the guy was the rabbi, he said, Rabbi, you know, you're doing this, kosher, food, tor Shabbat, there, so many things you can't do, I don't understand. Why can't you just like, you know, cut, out, cut back a little bit on the Jewish stuff, you know, enjoy. So he said, you know, uh, I had the same question the other day, we went to get shoes, and, um, and they didn't have my size, you know. So they had a shoe that was, you know, one size too big. And they had a shoe that was one size too small. He says, and I didn't know what to do. Like, should I buy the bigger shoe and like cut off the end of the shoe? Or should I buy the smaller shoe and just cut off my toes? And the guy's like, are you, are you mental? Like, who cuts off your toes? You just cut the shoe. The rabbi looked at him and he smiled and he said, I believe 
that the main thing in life is this. And the enjoyments of life, that's the shoe. Torah is my foot. My values on my foot. I'm not cutting off my toes because the shoe doesn't fit. For you, what's the foot and what's the shoe? That's Ne'ilat HaSandah. Now think about that. Feel that when you're not wearing your shoes. Walk in your ridiculous sneakers with your beautiful suit. It's so amazing, by the way. I wore these sneakers all these years because I couldn't find a comfortable shoe to wear to the to synagogue for the long walk. I, there were times when I used to walk an hour and a half you know, on the holiday to be able to get to a place to do this. So I had these shoes that I could walk in. And they're like sneakers. They're like gray and white. And I'm wearing, it looked weird because I'm a rabbi wearing a suit and a tie and sneakers. And then it became fashionable to wear a suit and tie with sneakers. And I was like, I have arrived! Okay? You started it. I, yeah, I think, I think that's what happened, by the way. That's probably what happened. Right? That happened on Yom Kippur. <laughs> Coming soon to a synagogue near you. So, the, that's what this idea means. Look at it. Feel it. But then, interpret it. Like, internalize it. Ask yourself, well, what are the things that I'm not doing in terms of growth, in terms of being my best, that are rooted in the fact that I'm comfortable. You know, some moms, some dads, they're dialing it in because they're comfortable. And yeah, getting involved and doing this and doing that, it's outside your comfort zone, you don't like it, tough. This world, your life, was not meant to be a coast down easy street. And you know who you're damaging when you coast down easy street, yourself, you're turning yourself into that fat glob on the couch. But not physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. How many things, how many averot between man and their fellow man are rooted in this? Okay? That's the second secret. What's the third secret? What's the first secret? Third one is needs. Challenging the definition of needs. I don't need, I don't need. Not everything that I think I need, do I need. You know what I'll do to prove it? Food and drink. Even if you need something, you don't need it right away. We're all like instant gratification. Absolutely, absolutely. So like, and that's a very good example because when it comes to the food, you're going to get it tomorrow. Just not now. The next category, after food and drink and comfort, right? And this is really interesting, is is rechitza. And this is a fascinating one because what is what is washing yourself? What does that represent? And this is a, this is such an interesting idea. What does a person do? What does a person do? When they wash, what are they doing? Take away what? Dirt. Anything that's on them. It wouldn't necessarily only be dirt, though, right? Would it? Let's say I'll give you an example. Let's say this person is just like Rasha. They're like, you know what? But get Yom Kippur, slathering on the oil, and then they go take a shower. What happens? Would they wash off? They wash it. So it's not only dirt that you wash off. I remember once I got a, a what's it called, a, um, 
a massage, and the person afterwards, this guy is like rubbing whatever, you know, like a thing with honey and granola. I'm like, I don't know what the heck is happening right over here. Did I come to like a spa or am I in pliables? Like, is this just the weirdest order in pliables? I don't know what's happening, right? And, but he's doing all this whole thing and, he's, and I was like, should I take a shot? He's like, no! And he was like so intense about it. Like I almost like swore off showering forever. And I like, he's like, no! I was like, why? I even matched like his voice. You know, he like, he screamed, I screamed, right? We all screamed, right? Scream. Um, I was like, no, why? He goes, he goes, you have to give the honey the time. Steamy, <laughs> this whole like thing about how the honey needs to like have time, like to soak into my system, and, and I'm just thinking that's a terrible idea. Like we have high blood sugar in our family. I feel like I should rinse it off immediately. Like like honey in my blood system, it's not a good thing in general, right? So you know maybe you and I have different opinions about. No, but I was thinking that would be a great idea. Could you imagine if you could get that stuff? Imagine you didn't have to eat salad. You could just like rub lettuce. I just, you know, and you'd be like, oh yes, I'm so healthy. You know, just like, just like take spinach. You know, I'm good to go. I think that's why people put the cucumbers on their eyes. It's, they ate vegetables now. Okay. So what are we rinsing? What is this idea of cleansing, of rinsing, of rechitza? Rechitza is that you rinse off, you take off anything that's not part of you. So there's different ways of looking at this idea of rechitza. I'm going to share with you one, one idea of what rechitza means, what this concept of rechitza means. It means that anything that's not part of me is something I want to get rid of. Now, try and understand what that means in a more broad sense. You know, there are people in this world, they can't help themselves. They cannot help themselves. They only have one setting, and that setting is selfish. And I don't even necessarily believe that that's necessarily or, or properly their fault. A lot of times, they were raised that way. And by the way, by the most well-meaning, loving parents sometimes. You know, they teach the kid, you know, I had to fend for myself. You got to get out there. You got to do this. You got to get that for yourself and this for yourself. Don't let them take advantage. Don't do, do this. Everything is about what are you going to get out of it? You want to volunteer for that tzedakah? Could you put that on your resume? Could I just help a starving person without needing to worry about my college application? Dad, right? Now, again, the dad's doing it out of love. He really wants the best for his daughter. Mother's, you know, same thing. I'm not being down on parents. I'm saying sometimes, without realizing, parents, especially if they didn't have a lot growing up, they want to give the kid everything that they didn't have. So they do. They give the kid everything that they didn't have. And then what happens? We talked about this when we read the parasha of of Ben Sorero More. Eventually, you create a monster. You created a monster, a monster that needs to have what they want, when they want, immediately. I need to have the fine meat and the best wine, and you have it now. You know, I, uh, I just, I'll never forget this. This was like right when iPads came out. So it was like the hottest thing and like, very few people had it, and I remember we were, we were just writing, we were in this, we went on a, I was a rabbi on a program, on a Pesach program, and we were riding in this, in this little, uh, you know, go-kart, because the, the place was like a little bit of a hill, 
Okay, so anyway, so there's right up the hill, and right at the top of the hill, there's, you know, the house, one, two, three, like three different buildings, you know, where it's already flat. Anyway, as the thing climbs the hill, get to the first one, this kid is, he must have been five or six, just wandering around, just playing game on his iPad. He doesn't even lift his head from the iPad. He just walks playing on the iPad, and he just stands by the golf cart, expecting someone to move over so he could sit in it. Anyway, we're looking at this kid, and the kid's just standing there, and uh, I'm looking at the driver, and the driver's looking at me, and I'm looking at the kid, and the kid's not looking at anybody but the screen, right? And I was like, okay, he wins. And I scoot over, right? And the kid, you know, without, again, doesn't even just sits down in the thing. The guy drives maybe 12, 20 feet. We went from the bottom of the hill on a boiling hot day. This guy's in the top. From one building to the next, maybe it's 20 feet. It arrives the next thing. He gets, he gets off, just off the thing. And I was like, how does a kid of that age, how does he, first of all, expect the world to just do its thing for him without, and he doesn't even look up, not thank you, forget thank you or acknowledging. Didn't even look up. Just was so clear that the, the river would part for him, that someone would move over, that he would get taken to the next stop. He doesn't even look up. He doesn't even look up. That happens because we create a person that can live in, in a device. That happens because there are no restrictions. People think that the filtering of devices is a very religiously black hat thing. But I want you to realize, Mark Zuckerberg is not a black hat. He's married to a Goya. He does not allow his children to have devices or have social media. Why do you think that is? Every one of these social media guys, they won't allow their children to have it. They know what's going on behind the scenes. They know what it does to kids' brains. But you know what happens? We create this system where a person can check in and out, can log in and out, can follow what he wants, can create an algorithm that only shows him or her the content that they want to see, and you're basically creating this bubble of meanness. Not meanness, me-ness. The world revolves around me. Rechitza represents the idea that anything that's not me, by the way, good or bad, I want nothing to do with That selfish ideology. Now, I want to share with you where it gets really complicated. It gets really complicated when a person takes that selfish ideology, go build a good future for yourself, get a great education, go out there, go do the right thing, da -da -da -da. go find a husband, a wife. How are you supposed to apply the laws of love, which are about loving the other, appreciating the other, when your training is in loving yourself? How do you do that? And even when you decide that you love that person, is it an expression of your love of them? Or is it an expression of me getting this person that makes me feel good? Is it just more selfishness in the new, in the new arena? We need to be able to pull ourselves out of that thing. And maybe this is the definition of Rechitzah, the next level, if you will, of soul, of bringing out a person's soul. We were not designed 
to be people that thought of ourselves. We were designed to be people that thought of others. And I want to share with you something that I think that it's just such a cool thing. You know, every creation, every creature, every living thing on the planet is programmed for self-preservation. Everyone. They, they act on instinct. It's not intelligence. They're not making moral or ethical choices that are driving their decisions. Right? The decisions that they're making are completely instinctual. Driven by preservation of self. And then Hashem's like, you know something? I have a great idea. I'm going to make one creature on this earth that's not going to have to follow that programming. And you guys are looking at it. Not me. You. Us. Humanity. We can choose to do the right thing even if it runs counter to our benefit. Counter to us feeling good about ourselves. We can be good parents even when being a good parent sucks and really feels horrible. Because we know that ultimately the goal, i.e. building this child, is better than having a happy child eating chocolate whenever he or she wants. Dressing, acting however they want. Hanging out with whoever they want. In that moment, a parent is doing the least popular job on earth but it is the most important job on earth. We are capable of doing that. That is what Rechitza says. Take something which is not you, which is on you, it's outside of the circle of me, and don't wash it off. Let it in. You have to let the honey seep <laughs> into How do you let someone else's heart come into yours? How do you let someone else's problems come into your heart? How do you do that? You don't build this wall. That's the concept of Rechitzah. So in Yom Kippur, we come to Hashem and we say, look, we see this body of sins, of problems, of deficiencies, of inadequacies as human beings. We are better than that. Look, let us show you. There's two more. And the two more Again, we'll have to abbreviate them because it's already late. The two more are Cream. oils, creams, and intimacy. Oils and creams, what does that represent? Could it represent the same thing as Rikita backwards? Sorry? Could it represent the same thing as Rikita except backwards? Well, how would you explain? Why is that something which is, which is, which is uh, the opposite of Rikita? And isn't the opposite of Rikhitsa a good no, thing? It, it, meaning like sometimes you do have to care about yourself and like don't let the negative on you? So it could be. I think there's more though than that. I think there's more to it than that. Like the extras in life like that aren't necessary. So what do you mean by that, extras? Like you don't need that fancy car. You could get a regular car or go to a fancy restaurant, like get pizza or something, like how you said. So isn't that more, isn't that more, the, again, the concept of needs and comforts? Right. 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 There's something really special here, I think. I think the idea of, of these luxuries is more than just a need, and it's more than just a comfort. There's a point, again, yeah, I, <laughs> it's a funny thing to say, that's a funny thing to say, but you see there's people who are going to a plastic surgeon and they'll spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, 
change their nose half of an inch. Okay, people do it. Change their jawline. There's people who spend $7,000 on a one-of-a-kind eye cream because it will mean that they won't get that one little tiny. Right? That's what sicha, that's what oils is. It's about making the skin soft, about chasing beauty. I think the idea of sicha is the idealization of the physical, is of making something which is physical, not just uh, a, a thing that you have in this world, but the point of what you're doing here. And I don't know if that's so easy to understand, hopefully, I mean, it's not something which is so accessible to you because that's not how you think. But there are people that are obsessed with this. And again, I, you know, I, 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 it's like I always hesitate. I always think to myself, like, you know, is it better to talk or not to talk about it? Like, you know, but I think these things need to be spoken about. They need to be spoken about. You know, the idea that our world right now is so body conscious, you know, that we're deciding in many cases to do things. Teenagers, it used to be girls, now it's boys too. That will starve themselves, that will do all sorts of, you know, binging and purging, all sorts of things that fall under these categories. And what are they doing it for? Now, some are doing it for some reasons, and some are doing it for mental health reasons, and some are doing it, but a lot of times, even if it changes what it is later, in the beginning, many times, it starts off with a negative self-image with regards to the way I look. And there's this idealization. Again, I, I, I always struggle with this because it's so hard for me to understand. You have a magazine, and you're going to show millions of people this woman's face. Do you know why? Because her skin is smooth. I want to, can we just like, can we think about that for one second? Show this person's body because they, why is that something that is so idealized, that is held so high, that it, 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 that it creates such an unrealistic possibility that people are literally damaging themselves, ruining their lives, sometimes stopping themselves from being even able to give birth to have children afterwards because of the damage that they do in these cases. What is the draw? Why is it so strong? And I believe that that is really what we're learning over here when we talk about this idea of sicha, is that it's not enough that I'm washed clean. Clean is not good enough. Comfortable, not good enough. Have my needs, not good enough. I need to live my life in a life of luxury. I need to pamper my body. I need to take, that, that becomes the highest form of my decision-making process. And again, I think that that's really what Yom Kippur is asking us, is do you care? Do you care how you look? Is it that important? You know, what, what would happen right now if your house was on fire? Could you go outside? You could. Now your house is not on fire. Now you can't go outside. Friends are going, yeah, you can have a great, but I don't look good today. People will stop, people will not go out of the house. I mean, again, and it gets worse and worse and worse. But this idea, and remember, when we talk about beauty, we don't only mean physical beauty. People who are embarrassed of their brains, embarrassed 
of how smart they are. They're embarrassed of their skills in sports. You know, when you're a child and you start a race, so what happens? Kid starts running a race, he looks at the other kid, the other kid's ahead. What does the kid say? Stops running and says, This is so stupid. I'm not even playing. <laughs> now, when we get older, we still have that kid inside of us. And the kid says, you know what? This is so stupid, I'm not even playing, because I think I'm gonna lose. And I can't handle not being beautiful, not being the best. In effect, this idea with regards to beauty manifests in one way, but it also shows itself with regards to perfectionism. Presenting this picture of my life as perfect. I was like, oh, it's amazing, it's great, you know? But do we get real with anybody ever? BH! <laughs> right? That's this mask that we wear so we don't have to be vulnerable. But why, why won't we be vulnerable? Because we associate vulnerability, not being perfect, with being bad. We associate being broken with being, oh, I'm much better now. No, I'm fine fine now, right? We associate being vulnerable, being broken, with bad. So we have to create a new persona, a shiny persona with no wrinkles, with a perfect nose and a sketched jaw. Like, at a certain point, what is the point? <laughs> what are we doing? Right? It's just wild. Now again, it's not about beauty. Beauty is its most simple expression. But how many marriages end? You know why? Because they didn't fight enough. Did you hear that? They didn't fight for the marriage enough? Nope, they didn't fight enough. Yeah, it's just, it's just too hard to have that fight, so let's not have that fight. And let's not have that fight again. Let's not have the third fight, and the fourth fight, and the fifth fight. And then you know what happens? All of a sudden, you have 10 fights and you're just like, get out of my life. They needed to fight more. Like, they needed, they needed to fight more. But I don't want to imagine, you know, that, that I don't want to talk to anyone and tell anyone, least of all my parents or my friends, that I don't have a perfect marriage, that I'm struggling, that I'm having issues with my kids. Because what would that do to this image that I have of myself, right? It's such a, this, that's what this means. This obsession with beauty, with things looking so perfect. And if things are perfect, then you know what you don't need to do? You don't need to change. If things are beautiful, then even if you want to change, but you can't admit to the people that will help you change, so you don't know how, so you stay stuck where you are. Are you starting to see the secret of these things come out? It's like the most magnificent thing ever. Crazy. It's crazy. I, I always love this. <laughs> what? Is that a Sai for Yom Kippur? Sai for Yom Kippur, Baruch Hashem. That's a great. That's that's a great feeling, right? To be Sai for Yom Kippur. So, so I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. I want to show you something if I can. There's, there's, um, there's a song, there's an artist that I really love. His name is Hanan Ben Ari, okay? And, and he has a song called Atalef Iver, okay? And um, I, I just want to, if I can pull up lyrics here, I just want to give you one, um, 
I want to give you one, one line from the song and then we'll do the last one and then we'll end. <clears throat> it's a beautiful song. It's a melancholy song. Definitely you should listen to it. Right? It goes like this. I'm a blind bat. It's very mournful, you know. You know, so eket chayay b'choshech, shouting out my life in the darkness. Ani ashen v'libi er, I'm asleep and my heart is awake. Ani narkoman shel osher, I'm addicted to happiness. Okay? Kotev balayla shir, I write a song at night. Zemenakem meni etzev, it takes the sadness away from me. Kishinigmar li ha'avir, when I... When I have no more air left to breathe. I cry alone in the car. And you're crying inside. I see you burning. You're afraid of agreeing. That this is not just a passing period. A passing moment. Oh my gosh. So powerful. That moment is, I think, captured not just Hanan Ben Ari, not just a marriage in trouble, not just parents and children in trouble, but also a person who's in trouble with themselves. You know, you find the space, you go, you cry in the car, you know, you're writing the song to get the sadness out of you. You're addicted to happiness, you can't believe, you can't accept that this perfect, beautiful, you know, oil, sicha, life. Is not the life that I have. Is not the life that I'm living. So you just tell yourself again and again, it was just this and it was just that and it was just the other. And really, what is it? It's you being addicted to having a perfect life. And, and, and having that, you know, lack of blemish existence. And, and the first thing that you need to do to be able to change anything is to be able to say, I have a problem. We have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. There's an issue here. I'm not perfect. And you know what? It's not just your fault. It's my fault. What did I not do? Yeah, maybe you hurt first. But didn't I stand back? Is that my anger? Is that my ego? Could I have done something else? Could I have accepted? Could I have had empathy? You know? Accepting that I'm not a perfect person. That, I, that everybody's a little bit broken. That's how we were made. Half soul, half body. Accepting that, recognizing that, allows a person to say to Hashem, I made a mistake. Shaul loses the kingdom. You know why? Because he makes a mistake. The problem is not that he makes a mistake. The Navi comes and the Navi says to him, what happened? How come you didn't do the whole thing Hashem said with Amalek? Why didn't you do it? And what does Shaul say? No, I did. The people, they were, the guy, they, I did do it. No, but I, I hear the animals. I hear the, I hear the noise. They're not... You, it's not true. You didn't, you didn't take care of it. Oh, oh, the people, the people said this, this, this. Shemuel says, God made you the king. He asked you to do something. You, 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 you didn't listen? And then you lied about it? And then you're blaming the people? Shemuel does not say that God tore it away from him in the beginning. You know why? Because maybe God would not have torn it away from him in the beginning. You did the wrong thing, whoop-dee-damn-do. Everybody does the wrong thing sometimes. 
That image of perfection, it doesn't exist. In tzaddik ba'aretz, asher ya'asetov lo There's no righteous man on earth that does good things and never makes a mistake. It doesn't exist. In the history, there's been a handful. It doesn't exist. So now that it doesn't exist, now that you're just like everybody else, and your mistakes are normal, and everybody falls, and everybody fails, now that you see that, just accept and say, Khatati, I made a mistake. I love this idea. Our rabbis tell us that the word khatati, chet, means not a sin, it means missed. You missed the target. You missed, right? I love this idea. You know what a chet is? You know, chet, chatanu, you know, chatati, you know what it means? Chet means a mistake. What's a mistake? It's a mistake. You took the wrong thing. You could have taken love and you took selflessness, selfishness. That's what a mistake is. You took the wrong, you had two options and you took the wrong one. It's okay, it happens. The unforgivable sin is the lack of recognition of a sin. And once he says, what do you mean, I did it. And then he catches him out. And then he, now you did it. At least now say, no, 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 it's the people's fault. Blame somebody else. It's not me. It doesn't, can't accept. At that point, Hashem says, Shmuel says, you're not the guy. David Amelech makes a mistake too. But when the Navi comes, the Navi calls him out, what does David say? Patati. So the David, not only does he remain the king, he becomes the, 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 the source, the seat of all kings forevermore come from King David. Why? Chatat. He was hearkening back to Yehuda himself, who says to Tamar, Tzadkarmeni, she's right, I'm wrong. That's what Sicha means. I'm allowed to not be perfect. Most people are. What I'm not allowed to be is so full of arrogance that I can't let myself not be perfect. So I construct all sorts of narratives to be able to maintain this feeble, fragile idea of beauty. The final one is intimacy, is marital relations. Now, what's the idea that stands behind the concept of, of Tashmish? Is love. There's a lot of things that we do that we are, that we define ourselves by because of love. Things that we do for love. Things that we do that's not the right thing. Not the right thing for us, not the right thing for them. But we just love too much. So we make the wrong decisions for us and for them. But Yom Kippur asks you a very simple question. If I take away all these things, these terms from you on this day, if just like Shabbat, there's nothing being created, remember that's what Shabbat means, that's why we're calling Yom Kippur Shabbat. If I take away all the things that give you, that create this identity for you, I strip them away from you, who are you without your comforts? Who are you without these things that you've decided that you need? Are you starting to see some sort of random, weird hero like come out of you or something? It's like you wouldn't even recognize you. I think if every time you had this same scenario where you keep failing, like you actually grand slammed it. You know why? Because you didn't, you know, 
go back to what's more comfortable. And you didn't just say, well, I need my this or I need my that. You didn't do that. You know? And you didn't have this image of perfection. So you know what? You were actually able to say to the person in that scenario, you know what? I screwed up. This is on me. I'm going to make it better. I'm taking ownership. I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to fix this. Do you even recognize that person? So, so much of our identity is bound up with being loved. That's what marital intimacy represents. What do we do? Who do we become for love? To be loved, to be appreciated. How do we change for it? What decisions do we make that are not decisions that we would make if we were impervious to the power that love holds over us when it casts this spell, you know, on us. Take those things away and what does that person look like? Now, the Torah, like we started, does not want to take things like this away from you. The Torah wants you to eat. The Torah wants you to be happy. The Torah wants you to have relations, you know, it's a mitzvah, etc., etc. But like my rabbi said, everybody always talks about on Pesach how we don't eat chametz, right? Why? Because chametz represents Yetzirah. Right? You've all heard that before? Mm-hmm. So my rabbi asked, so then how come right after Pesach, we're like bidding for the highest price to get the first pizza pie? <laughs> like we should forever eat matzah. I know that that would absolutely destroy all of our stomachs collectively, right? But we should forever eat matzah. Why are we ever going back to chametz? We should say gluten-free. <laughs> Why? Why are we eating chametz if it's so bad? You know what the answer is? The Yetzirah is not bad. The Yetzirah is bad when he controls you. When you figure out how to step away from him and say, I don't need you, then you can step back in and engage on your terms. Love is beautiful, but there's love that's toxic. There's love that's controlling. So if love has such a hold over you that you don't control it, it will destroy you. If comfort is something that you're using on your terms, because you could step away from it and be okay, then when you re-engage, you're like, this is great. Don't need it. So nice. I'm enjoying it while I have it. But I don't need it. And at any moment, I can walk away. You're in control. So go for it. You're now after Pesach. After you walk away from Yom Kippur, you plug back in, but you plug back in from a very different place. That's what the five Inuim are, and that's why they're called the secret, because most people are getting Kippur exactly backwards. Okay? Wow. I have an abbreviated, abbreviated version um, of a video that I made that I can send you. Um, I'll post it as well if, you, if anyone wants it. Okay? Um, God bless everyone that tuned in. Azaku Baruch. See you guys soon. Tiskushin Rabot Nimotovot. Gemar Hatimatovat.